Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Solomon Ashoms in Johannesburg, South Africa and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we catch up with Cameroon's preparations for the 2019 Africa Cup of Nations. There have been doubts over Cameroon's readiness to host the tournament, but we have a special report on the latest CAF inspection and hear from some of the stadium constructors. It is an international event and therefore the exposure that both Cameroon and us will have in this project is, is very big, so we can be assured that uh, our commitment is at 200%. Also, we look ahead to the UEFA Champions League quarterfinals and in Stewart's series marking 25 years of the English Premier League, he highlights the staggering amounts that the league is getting from broadcast rights. Revenue generated by the Premier League for each televised game this season, including UK and worldwide rights, is $13 million per game. Wow, that's coming up later. But first, Africa's World Cup representatives have been busy playing friendly matches in the last few days with mixed results. Tunisia came out with two wins out of two, beating Iran 1-0 and Costa Rica by the same scoreline. Wabi Kazri got their goal in that game. Kazri was with Sunderland in England and is now on loan to French side Rennes. Morocco also made it two out of two in their friendlies, uh, with their coach Hervé Renard continuing to produce impressive results. Morocco beat Serbia 2-1 and Uzbekistan 2-0. In the Uzbekistan game, Ayub El Kabi scored. He's the home base player who was the top scorer at the African Nations Championship in Morocco earlier this year. Now, Nigeria won 1-0 away to Poland, but then lost 2-0 to Serbia in London. Senegal had two draws, 1-1 with Uzbekistan and 0-0 with Bosnia and Herzegovina. Egypt had two defeats, uh, but they led Portugal for much of their game, only for Cristiano Ronaldo to score two late goals for Portugal, who took it 2-1. Mohamed Salah scored for Egypt in that match and then was rested last Tuesday as they lost 1-0 to Greece in Switzerland. These were the final friendly games before the World Cup teams have to submit a 30-man preliminary squad to FIFA in mid-May. The 32 teams will then have until the first week of June to trim their squads to 23 players. This week we're asking on Facebook and WhatsApp how you feel the African teams are shaping up for the World Cup in Russia. I'll give you the contact details a little bit later on. Now, a couple of weeks ago on the show, we took a look at Cameroon's preparations for the 2019 Africa Cup of Nations. Remember, the tournament has been expanded from 16 to 24 teams, placing an extra burden on Cameroon, and there have been doubts over Cameroon's readiness to host the tournament. There were feelings that the tournament might be taken away from Cameroon and given to Morocco, but Morocco recently pledged their support for Cameroon. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we also looked at the internal problems at the Cameroon FA and the fact that there's no national team coach at the moment. And on Facebook, we asked if you think that they'll be able to host the tournament successfully. Many listeners expressed doubts. Others felt that Cameroon will be OK. Well, a Confederation of African Football inspection team has been in the country. And in this special report from Yaoundé, Ngae Eno Ebae gives us the latest on the preparations. 
The second CAF fact-finding mission that sojourned in Cameroon from the 19th to the 22nd of March had as main task to ensure that rehabilitation and construction works on some football stadia to host training sessions and games of the 2019 Africa Cup of Nations were executed according to CAF norms. The two-man CAF team composed of CAF manager for inter-club competitions Ismail Wali and Jean-Louis Romain of audit firm Louis Berger began their inspection visit in Garwa, in the north of Cameroon, where renovation works have intensified on the Rumde Adja Stadium, formerly the home ground of Coton Sport of Garwa. Once works are complete, the Rumde Adja Stadium will be able to host at least 20,000 spectators. Portuguese multinational company Mota Angel is in charge of renovation works at the Garwa Stadium and its annex facilities. Recently, the company's chairman, Antonio Mota, flew into Cameroon to ensure that works are going on as planned on a project that's very important to the company. In Garwa, we are working on the stadium, on the hotel and the training stadium. So I'm here to reassure the execution of the works and that the works are ongoing. The stadium will be ready by the end of the year, as it is predicted, and there will not be delays. All the demolitions have been performed. The concreting works are already on the ground. We are in the phase where the contract is going to start to have a higher production as we already faced the initial works are already finished. And now this is the moment where we'll start seeing the majority of the works in place. All projects are important and this one has a special significance. It is a big challenge for Cameroon. It is an international event and therefore the exposure that both Cameroon and us will have in this project is, is very big, so we can be assured that uh, our commitment is at 200%. From Garwa, the CAF duo flew to Bafusam in the west of Cameroon. The city's main stadium, the 20,000-seater Bafusam Omnispo football facility, is ready. Inaugurated in 2016, the football arena has played host to continental games of Cameroon's under-20 football squad. Douala, Cameroon's economic capital, was their next destination. The city is expected to host two pools, with one playing at the 50,000-seater Japoma Stadium, while the other pool will use the Reunification Stadium. The Reunification Stadium, which hosted games of the 1972 Afghan when Cameroon first hosted the Continental Football Bonanza, is being rebuilt. The other major football facilities, the 50,000-seater Japoma Stadium, constructed on the outskirts of Douala. Here, works have hit a crescendo after 5,000 tons of precast material were shipped into the country last month. Officials of the Turkish company building the football arena, Yenigun, are expecting a new consignment of precast material in the days ahead, and they are resolved to deliver the stadia by the end of the year. Zeski Busquet is the project manager. Now we are concentrating on the west side of the stadium. This is the most complicated part. We will finish all the concrete work end of March, and we will start putting the precast elements. Those precast elements now already started the manufacturing in Turkey. They will be here at the end of March in April. We are going to deliver what we are doing for this one. We are doubling the manpower and doubling the machinery. So it's going to be a little expensive for us, but we are going to catch the schedule. However, the main attraction is the 60,000-seater Paul Bia Stadium, christened after Cameroon's president. The venue is expected to host the opening game and final of next year's Continental Pinnacle Nations Tournament. Though construction works have hit top gear, the football facility has been at the center of worries, with skeptics doubting the stadium will be constructed by the end of the year. 
However, officials of the Italian company erecting the game ground, Piccini, have laughed off these worries, hinting that construction works are ahead of schedule. Sam Thamin is the general manager of Piccini. In terms of progress, the last weeks have seen a lot, a lot of progress. We're ahead of the schedule now and the target is to uh, achieve a zone of comfort of at least a month. I'm quite confident we have increased our resources and areas of work significantly. The main structural frame is done. So you have the foundations, you have the columns, uh, the beams. So at the moment, we are working on the two annex stadiums. The nursery is ready in terms of earthwork. We want to and we will. Uh, progress with the works on the turf and we'll do that in the two annex stadiums so the idea is we can advance there that can be ready even for use and uh, for the main stadium itself we will plant the grass in the nursery and then when the structures are finished we'll be able to just transplant or move the grass to the main stadium there is a program but we're here to beat it after holding a working session with CAF Envoys, Piccini executives say the project will be delivered on time. Though football infrastructure in Boya and Limbe in the southwest of Cameroon hosted games for the 2016 women's AFCON, minor roofing works are ongoing at the 20,000-seater Limbe Omnisport Stadium. Atu Robert is an engineer working at the Limbe Stadium. Limbe is virtually ready. The works that are being done now was the extension of the roof of the main stand, which was work that we kind of laid off because we didn't want to interfere with the 2016 games. So after that, the works were taken over. Uh, if you go to Limbe now, you see that the main stand has been increased. It can now cover up to about 5,000 people. Uh, in addition to that, we're going to reinforce uh, maintenance. We're going to make sure that the stadium is maintained so that the field will always be green and that the facilities will be running better. That's all. Absolutely, we're doing the best we can. We made a promise to CAF, we gave them a program, we're going to keep that program. 14 months to the 2019 AFCON, three stadiums are set for action. Two are being renovated, while two are under construction. The four stadia being built and renovated are expected to be ready by December 2018. Well then, so maybe it's not as uh, bad as we had feared. That special report from Planet Sport Football Africa's and GA Eno Ebay in Yaoundé, Cameroon. Uh, so, Solomon, this uh, does sound quite encouraging. Yeah, Steve, uh, it sounds really, really encouraging. Six months back, there were a lot of uh, conversations around the ability of Cameroon to host uh, the AFCON uh, next year. And there was uh, also a lot of talk around looking for a substitute nation uh, to, to, to take on if Cameroon isn't able to do that and Morocco came into the frame. But it's, it's quite interesting and really encouraging to be able to get feedback, not just from the uh, football administrators, but, you know, getting feedback straight directly from uh, those and involved directly with the building of stadiums and facilities. Uh, and it's also quite encouraging to see that they, they have set themselves a good uh, uh, timeline and uh, making sure that by the end of the year, they're going to uh, be able to deliver what they had promised. But also to be able to hear how much commitment comes from uh, the businesses, the, the construction companies that are that are in charge of building some of the stadiums and renovating some of the stadiums. Uh, and it's also very interesting and really good that CAF is working closely in conjunction with not just the government but also the construction companies who are involved just so they would get first-hand information and first-hand understanding of what the expectations are and how long he's going to be able to take for them to deliver and and i think for me that's the biggest part of it that there's a lot of commitment 
And it is indeed great for Cameroon to be hosting the 24 teams in AFCON. There are a lot of benefits that come with it. And it's a great opportunity for Cameroon to showcase its uh, tourism facilities, to showcase its ability to host tournaments, uh, and also to showcase the country and the people and the culture. So they have to make sure that they prepare very well. Then then they're going to be able to benefit quite a lot because uh, the football fans and footballers want to go into Cameroon and really have a, a great football festival. And that's what is really all about, isn't it? Yes, well, thanks, Solomon. So let's hope Cameroon will be ready. One thing for sure is that uh, being such a great footballing nation, good crowds are expected and a really great atmosphere. Well, this is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. You can download our app and listen to the show anytime. To download, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. Once you've downloaded, you can listen to the show anytime on the app and access past programmes too in our archive. You can also listen to the show on our website, that's planetsportfootballafrica.com and our Twitter handle is at planetsportfa. Well now let's talk about European football and the first leg of the quarterfinals of the UEFA Champions League are on this Tuesday and Wednesday. On Tuesday Juventus take on Real Madrid and Sevilla play Bayern Munich and then on Wednesday Barcelona take on Roma and Liverpool play Manchester City. Our European football expert Stuart Weir joins us to look ahead. The makeup of the last 16 included three from Spain, two from Italy, one from Germany and five from England. That's 11 from the big nations. But look at the last eight. The three from Spain, the two from Italy and the one from Germany have all gone through. But only two of England's five teams made it through the last 16. So what does that tell us about the standard of the English Premier League? Well, Manchester City and Liverpool won, but then they had reasonably easy opponents. Basel from Switzerland, Porto from Portugal. But when Manchester United and Chelsea met Spanish opposition, Seville and Barcelona, and when Tottenham met Juventus of Italy, they all came off second best. And I mean that actually literally, because none of them was unlucky, and none of them really deserved to win. So we might say that the quality of the Premier League in depth is very good, but it looks as if our top teams really are not on a par with the top teams in Europe. But moving into those quarterfinals, what African players can we look out for? Well, Liverpool, certainly. We've got Sadio Mane and Mo Salah have each scored six goals in the Champions League already. And, of course, Joel Matip, the Cameroon player, is in the defence for Liverpool. Juventus have the Ghanaian Quadmo Asamoa, and he hasn't played a lot in the Champions League, but he came on as a sub against Tottenham and was outstanding. Uh, Yaya Torre, who's really a fringe player at Manchester City at the moment, has had two outings in the Champions League. And Real Madrid have a Moroccan, who's only 19, called Ashram Hashimi, and uh, he's played in the Champions League this year. Interestingly, uh, there are no African players in the Bayern Munich, Barcelona, Seville and Roma teams. Finally, Steve, on the subject of the Champions League, UEFA have taken a very hard line with Besiktas of Turkey. It wasn't bad enough that they lost 8-1 over the two legs to Bayern Munich. They have been charged by UEFA for misconduct. The charge involves allowing a stray cat onto the field during the game and taking too long to catch it. Apparently, it held up the game for some time. 
you know, you can see it coming. Teams will now not only have a fitness coach, a psychologist, but a cat catcher. Incidentally, the Bayern Munich striker, Sandro Wagner, saw the funny side of this. And he said afterwards, well, personally, I prefer dogs and I think they're easier to catch than cats. <laughs> uh, well, we had something similar here about uh, four years ago when a black cat uh, ran around the pitch in a league game here. It was alleged to be an act of juju on part of the home team Harare City, but uh, the cat ran away but was sighted several times afterwards at the stadium, uh, including by myself, and uh, was never proved to have actually had any supernatural powers. Well, thanks, Stuart. Uh, Great games to look forward to. That Liverpool-Man City tie and the Juventus-Real Madrid really do look to be crackers. Well, now we turn to social media here on Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. And last week, we looked to the issue of age. A research organisation called the CIES Football Observatory has analysed the ages of teams in Europe and found that it's important for clubs to have half of their players under the age of 27. So we asked, what balance of young players and older players do you like to see in a team? Do you prefer the speed of the youngsters or the experience of the senior players? On Facebook first, Arjuna K. Hage from Uganda takes the example of Manchester United. There should be a mix of young players and the older experienced players, says Arjuna. Like Rashford and Martial, when they played with the likes of Giggs and Ibrahimovic and so on, to get results. But Agaruku Innocence and Bayo, also in Uganda, disagrees. Old is gold, says Agaruku. I prefer experience, although the youngsters do add much value on the pitch. But most of the consistently outstanding players are over the age of 27. On WhatsApp, Steve in the Gambia agrees. For me, experience is needed in everything we do, says Steve. Without experience, nothing works. Take Chelsea, for example. The team lacks leadership and experience. Youngsters are good, but without the experienced players, they lack the understanding of the beautiful game, says Steve. Samson Makawa in Malawi also agrees. Somebody once said, experience is the best teacher, says Samson. Those experienced players will be like role models to the young ones. However, for the continuity of the teams, they should also recruit young players to maintain their legacy. Aliou B. Conte is in the Gambia. I prefer the senior experienced players in the team to the youngsters because the youngsters play for themselves and not for the team, says Aliou. But the senior players take responsibility for the team before and after the game. That's why Brazil failed at the last World Cup because there are only a few experienced players in the team and that's what my team Arsenal lack too, says Aliou. However, on the other side of the argument, Caroline Matope in Malawi says I'd like to see more players under the age of 27. The advantage of that is that teams will have players who are strong and they'll decrease in the number of injuries. In so doing, teams will have only strong players and they'll teach them skills that will make their teams popular, says Caroline. We always welcome your voice notes on the show. From the Gambia, here's Ebrima Kante. For me, I prefer younger players than older players because younger players have a lot ahead of them than these old players. These old players, maybe they are one or two seasons, they are, they, they are gone. So I prefer the younger players. Thanks for your thoughts, Ebrima. And here's Cherno Jallo, also in the Gambia. 
I believe that age has a great role when you come to the beautiful game and to be more specific African football. The likes of Drogba, Samuel Eto, JJ Okocha, Nwanko Kanu were all at their best when they were the youthful ages. I believe that age has a great role when you come to the beautiful game in Africa. And currently as we speak, the duo of Liverpool, Sadio Mane and Mo Salah are just so exciting and wonderful to watch. Yes, I believe that the experience matters, but the young players create more space and bring more dynamism to the gym and hence give more options to the coaches to play. Yes, I vote for the youthful players. I believe that coaches should give more chance to the youths. Well, a good argument there. That's from Cherno Jallo, who's in the Gambia. Also in the Gambia, Karamba Dabo supports the youth too. It's good to have both experienced and young players in a team, says Karamba. But for me, 90% of the players in any team should be youngsters because they have more energy and do a lot of work on and off the pitch and more than the experienced players. Sometimes when a match goes to a crucial stage, it's the senior players who use their experience to kill and win that game. So it's important for both to be in a team, but I say 90% for the youngsters and 10% for the experienced players in a team. However, disagreeing is Amalai Oyake, who's a football agent based in the United States. I agree with this research, says Amalai, and this is critical that a healthy balance is key. I'd go for a balance of young players between the ages of 18 and 23, players in their prime from 23 to 28, and veterans in the bracket from 28 to over 35. This issue of balance is also picked up by Abdullahi Soe in the Gambia. In my opinion, as a player gets older, he may become more mature on the pitch, but his energy output will diminish. This may occur when he reaches 25, says Abdullahi. And Ali Mami Fofana, also in the Gambia, agrees. For me, I prefer to mix both the old and young so that the team will have a good balance, says Ali Mami, because when you have experienced players, the youngsters will learn from them. To Zambia now, and Mwinga Maimbolwa says a combination of young and older players I think is usually good and it reaps good results. It's always good for the young lads to learn the ropes from the older compatriots. I'd also add that most successful teams when analysed have a blend of youth and experience and also players at the peak of their careers, which is between the age of 26 and 31, I'd say. But equally, I agree with the research from CIES Football Observatory on the need for clubs to have half their players under 27, as this ensures consistency in the long term, says Maimbolwa. Modu G.H. Kale in the Gambia says, Yes, for a team to be strong and to keep on winning, it needs both the youngsters and the experienced players in it. A good example is a team like Real Madrid, says Modu. And finally, Jata Samba in the Gambia says it's really good for a team to have both old and young players because the old players have a lot of experience. They can make things right when it's not going well on the pitch. But now most of the teams have these young, talented players and they are doing well. Look at RB Leipzig in Germany. Almost the whole team are young boys. But anyway, I think both experienced and young together can make a better team, says Jata. Well, thanks so much for all of those comments. It's always great to hear from you here on the show. 
And this week we're asking, how do you feel that Africa's World Cup teams are shaping up? So Africa's five World Cup representatives have played friendly matches in the last few days with mixed results. Two wins out of two for Tunisia and Morocco, a win and a defeat for Nigeria, two draws for Senegal and two defeats for Egypt. But of course, friendlies are not just about the results. It depends on the level of opposition and what the coach is getting out of it too. So how do you feel the African teams are shaping up for the World Cup? Go to our Facebook page, that's Planet Sport Football Africa. Africa, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Well, finally, on the show this week, as the English Premier League marks its 25th season, Stuart has put together for us a series on how the Premier League has grabbed the attention of the world, growing further as the most followed league around Africa and indeed across the whole globe. This week, Stuart looks at how television rights money has grown to astonishing levels during the 25 years of the English Premier League and how other commercial aspects have grown. I recently found a newspaper article from 2004 in which David Dean, at that time vice-chairman of Arsenal, was quoted as saying that TV exposure was damaging football. He actually used the phrase, television had put football in hospital and it needed to recover. Now, in 2018, you will not likely to hear anyone saying something like that. TV money has transformed the English Premier League. In 1983, there were 10 televised games in the old Division I, generating $3.5 million. In 2016, in comparison, there were 168 televised games and the income had grown to $2.3 billion. In fact, the Premier League TV revenue is more than the combined television revenue received by the Bundesliga, La Liga and Serie A, that is the German, Italian and Spanish leagues put together. Now, the negative side is that games now take place at any time of the weekend or midweek with the preference of the live fans very much secondary to TV schedule preferences. Now, to put broadcast in context... In the 91-92 season, revenue from television was less than 10% of club income in comparison to paying spectators at 48%. So almost half the income in 1992 came from spectators. Currently, broadcasting revenue represents 53%, sponsorship and commercial activities 30%, meaning that match day spectator income is only 18%. Revenue generated by the Premier League for each televised game this season, including UK and worldwide rights, is $13 million per game. So anytime you watch a game on television, just think that somebody has paid $13 million so you can watch it. Go back to 1992 and the total income from TV for that season was $20 million. Football is no longer about a local club. It is big business and part of the entertainment industry. It's been announced that live Premier League games will be shown on Saturday evening television. But I also recently read 
that they're going to make sure they don't clash with Strictly Come Dancing, a cult TV show in the UK. Now, I can understand sports administrators not wanting to clash with other international sports events, but worrying about Premier League games not clashing with a cult TV programme shows how football has really positioned itself in the entertainment industry. But I suppose from a commercial point of view, it makes good sense. And while it is called the English Premier League, it's actually a global phenomenon with foreign players, foreign coaches, foreign owners, TV coverage in 200 territories of the world. The global appeal of the EPL is staggering to the extent that no other elite football league comes close to it in its ability to deliver a global fan base to a host of corporate sponsors eager to associate themselves with it. While the game may take place in Manchester or London, it has significant commercial value in Abu Dhabi, Bangkok, Tokyo or Cape Town. And more importantly, the Premier League is making money in all of those cities. Well, thanks, Stuart. Uh, Fascinating stuff and incredible figures. And the leagues of Africa will really envy uh, the huge revenues that the English Premier League is getting. Well, next week in this series from Stuart, as the Premier League marks its 25th season, Stuart looks at the diminishing importance of fans at the stadium. Well, that's it for the show for this week. But on Facebook and on WhatsApp, we're asking, how do you feel that Africa's World Cup representatives are shaping up as the teams are all in action in friendlies in the last few days? You can go to our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. From me, Steve Vickers in Harare from Solomon Ashams in South Africa and Stuart Weir in the UK. Thanks a lot for listening and Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.